the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome into National Drug Testing Day which is the day that follows National Hemp Day, 420. Tomorrow is Earth Day, National Earth Day. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Boy, is there a lot going on in the markets right here, right now. I want to say it looks pretty clear that there's a transition going on, kind of a moving out of one area and maybe moving into another. And you're starting to see the trucks show up and the boxes show up and the neighbors are suddenly getting a little bit withdrawn. They're not telling you anything about where they're moving. Netflix maybe started a moving day last night. They had what I would refer to as a post-pandemic quarter that was fraught with all of the gains from the pandemic quarters, leaving them with underwhelming results. Netflix isn't the only one in this area. Peloton and Zoom as well are aggressively off their 52-week highs as pandemic plays, making us ask the question of, is the momentum gone forever? Or what do we do now? Netflix acknowledged the obvious things have gone downhill since episode six of Bridgerton. (laughs) That's fair enough. Oh, I tried to get into the steamy, sexy Bridgerton and I just couldn't do it. Tried. I want to be part of the the, um, coffee talk or the water cooler talk, even though I'm not going into water cooler country at this point in time. Netflix did say something. They bumped up their price, and it had some stickiness to it, which is something I like, a company's ability to raise prices. But ultimately, they said COVID-19 production delays. Yes. So they have lighter content slate out there. But they also said couch butt imprints are starting to fade. I looked at my couch the other day. I'm like, I think I need a new couch because it's got a, it doesn't have a butt imprint. It's just got some, how shall we say, well-used imprint. If I can get the boys to Disneyland, I'd rather them walk around for entertainment instead of sit in front of the TV for entertainment, especially after mom and dad got their shots, especially as the Californians are getting their shots. It feels safer out there. And maybe I'm just fooling myself. Still taking all the precautions that I'm supposed to. But the couch butt imprints are starting to fade. And that's not good news for Disney. I'm sorry, that's not good news for Netflix. It's good news for Disney. 
And also on the other side of not only do we want to take our kids to Disneyland, for the record, I've never been to Disneyland, Disney World, or any Disney property. But viewers love Baby Yoda. In the Rock, Scissors, Paper world of Baby Yoda versus Stranger Things, Baby Yoda's winning because we've seen Baby Yoda. Netflix kind of needs to get some of those Knives Out movies. Another Baby Yoda show. Maybe a Jedi show with the original Hayden Christensen returning as Darth Vader. Um, maybe another season of Bridgerton lost in space. They need some sort of action out there because Disney continues to roll it out. And so not only is Netflix fending off Disney for eyeballs, but NBC took back the office and parks and recreation of which for the record, listen to this weird statistic about Rob black. I've never seen a full episode of friends, the office or parks and recreation or that 20 rock, 30 rock show either. I've never seen one episode. What's wrong with me? But obviously it's very popular on Peacock. They needed Discovery Plus and Paramount Plus, and they've had some strong launches. So Netflix is, people are rightfully selling off a little bit. But that could be the ability to get in, not at a 52-week high. The Super League of Breakaway Soccer competition. It ticked off soccer fans. It pissed off prime ministers. And it appears to have totally crumbled in less than 48 hours faster than Quibi. <laughs> Do you remember Quibi? Oh, Meg Whitman. Please don't start any more companies. Um, it was going to be short form entertainment content for your phone. Like, who needs a 30, a 60-minute Netflix stand-up special when you can get six minutes? Apple did something kind of goofy and wonky yesterday. They made a slew of iPad and computer announcements that housed their first in-house M1 chips, and they added color to their computers, which is kind of interesting. Mustard yellow, purple. They also introduced an AirTag, $29 AirTag, traceable through the Find My. But this was the wild part of that. So it's like a tile. We, I think we all know what tiles are. You put them in your keychain and you can find things that you regularly lose, like tiles, uh, like keychains. But Apple has products that they're making you help find. <laughs> this is fantastic. Because you tend to lose your iPad and your iPhone. Why not sell you a device that you could stick onto and help you find it, even though it already has GPS in it? But you get the idea. Um, but Apple had to quickly come out and say, we're setting up some practices inside these AirTags to stop a jealous boyfriend from dropping it in a girl's purse. And you're like, whoa. Celebrity trackers, stalkers, abusive boyfriends. Apple has to think of this stuff that, you know, yeah, you may want to use it innocently, but you also may want to use it kind of corruptly. And I can certainly tell you that sometimes I've been at my second home and my wife's not picking up her phone. I'm like, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Like, she's driving. She's been in a car crash. She's caught in the snow. And um, I just go to find my phone and I look up her phone and, oh. She's still driving 55 miles an hour, and she's on her way. 
Apple introduced a new Apple TV box with a new remote, and it's got a faster chip in it. It should allow for more better HDR sports viewing. All very, very nice, but boring. They did announce a trailer for Ted Lasso season two, which I've heard is quite good. I just don't have the time. When I got to do my business podcasts and I got to stay on top of the markets with tech reports, I just don't have time for Ted Lasso right yet, right now. A lot of good stuff going on, right? How are the markets reacting? Let's take a look, shall we? Interesting. Futures were negative. And out of the gate, I thought the first look I was going to have was going to be negative. Now, again, the NASDAQ is underperforming because of Netflix. It opened in the red. It's kind of got back in the green, up 14 points. The Dow's up 144, up four-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500's up a more rational 25 basis points, one-quarter of 1%. The Russell 2000's outperforming. Crude oil's a little bit lower today. 10-year Treasury sits at 1.55, well off that 1.7. That should be a good number for us to rally. If earnings are stronger than expected, but it's earnings season, I'm not saying all bets are off the table. Just watch out for high flyers running into any sort of slowdown, i.e. Netflix. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Weddings are starting to make a comeback. 47% of weddings planned for 2020 have now been rescheduled into 2021. Wedding-related spending decreased by $30 billion in 2019. Sales of diamond rings are starting to go back up, hinting that engagements are on the rise. Weddings are super expensive. They are one of those things that are one of the biggest expenses in a couple's life. I don't know the statistic, but some people say 50% of weddings end in divorce. Let's say that number is between 40 and 60%, depending on first marriages, second marriages, third marriages, what have you. I don't care. It's just too many. There's a big e-commerce shift going on. Making a wedding dress tends to have a specific date tied towards it, which has a ton of personalization and alterations. Therefore, there's three or four fittings typically, and it's very hands-on. It got disrupted pretty aggressively. But the average wedding running over $30,000 pre-pandemic. I don't know what side of the world the wedding industry is going to come out on. I'm not that much of a trend expert when it comes to weddings, but it's a big expense. And I knew early on that I was going to struggle in my 20s and 30s, financially speaking, as I was starting a business. And the last thing I, I had pressure was like, don't ask a girl to get married. Don't settle down because you're not going to be able to provide the wedding that Hollywood wants you to provide or Beverly Hills 90210, the wedding of the season, Jenny Garth and dun, dun, dun. Um, so I put off marriage to become successful. Millennials have put off marriage because of the job market. Now, when I did get married, I eloped. 
because of those years of working in my 20s and 30s, I went to enough weddings that were just pieces of poop. Where I'd see the father of the bride in the kitchen making mashed potatoes and sweating when he's supposed to be, Dad, Dad, you're supposed to be dancing with me. And I'm just like, nope. I got into such a cynical place in my life that I was betting on the on the marriage ending at the wedding, at the reception. I would sit with other guests and go, oh, boy, what do we think of those uh, bridesmaids dresses? And I'd say, okay, let's let's go money on this one. Nine month marriage, fifteen month marriage, three years, five years. Who wants to take some money on this? I'm not a big fan of big weddings, um, but the industry is coming back, and that's interesting to note. It's just like yesterday. I did stories about flights coming back and hotel reservations coming back and Airbnb doing quite well. Airbnb doing better than hotels because people don't really trust, I suppose, the ventilation system of hotels versus the we're the only guests on, on property of an Airbnb. That kind of reminds me that there's going to be a little bit of a reopening hesitation so expect some stuttering, but all things considered, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Yesterday, I did a, a wonderful piece on Amazon getting into the hair industry. It was actually something I was quite proud of. And somebody emailed me hatred which I'm actually pretty good with, except for the fact that it just goes to show you that some people don't get what I try to do. This is a man who has sent me emails in the past where he has problems with corporate America, and he's listening to a show that's dedicated to getting into retirement, not a show dedicating to, to right social injustices. It was fantastic because in his email, he brought up the idea of the industrial revolution in Europe and how we're mistreating people very similar to the way we mistreated people back then and how Amazon is the evil, the most evil of all evil companies. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, just write a letter to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the LA Times. Don't put that on me. If you don't like what I'm doing, turn it off. But for God's sakes, don't think that you write my show or that I have any sort of, you know, owing to you that that concept. Um, it's just a little bit spooky how crazy some people can be in his email. And for the record, in the past, he's emailed me about, I believe in buying physical gold and storing it in my house. At one point in time, he brought it up like Rob's never been to Spain or Mississippi or West Virginia. And oddly enough, I've been to them all, <laughs> which is weird. But he's just a little bit wackadoodle. Um, he referred to Spain as a third world country, India as a third world country, New Zealand and Pakistan. He's caught up in like words like third world country, um, which fine by me. But he went into this anger about the exploitation and treatment of employees whose work conditions are reminiscent of those of Industrial Revolution Britain, i.e. no bathroom breaks. Britain wasn't about no bathroom breaks. Britain was about much bigger concepts of coal and people moving from the farmland to the big cities and getting abused, which is kind of still happening in China. Where if you grew up in a poor part of China, i.e. the farm parts, 
you send your kids off to the big city to get manufacturing jobs. And Philip doesn't complain about that. I get that Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man. And I get the fact that his employees make $15 an hour. Become a congressman of your state or a representative of the country. Change the minimum wages. Keep in mind, though, this is a big country, and the, the, the minimum wage needed for a successful life in West Virginia is totally different than San Francisco, which is totally different than Bakersfield. It is a problem that is easy to point fingers at, but I don't do a show about social commentary. I brought up Amazon getting into hair salons, and I, I, I said, that's a pretty unique idea because they have our captive attention for one hour. Very rarely. And if they got into massage salons where we're, you know, on a table for an hour getting rubbed up, I, I'd be like, no, we're supposed to relax at that moment. But I do tech trends. I, I don't do social commentary. So, and I think I made a great segment on the banalities of haircuts and how a tech company can use those to, you know, draw on your business. And they're stealing from old-fashioned department stores of the 1950s where you take your kids to get a haircut and buy jeans on Saturday or Sunday. I don't think news like this show is meant to be politicized and or social commentary. Um, I work at Cron TV, who's won big awards for news. And I can tell you that we are not allowed social commentary. ABC, NBC, CBS not supposed to have social commentary or opinions in the news. Fox News and MSNBC, they, they don't say it, but they are opinion-driven news, which is fine, because I think most of us know that. Um, but all I'll say is, don't hate on me social commentary for social commentary reasons. That's not my job. And I would be fired if, it, if I, I crept into that area. My job is to get you to retirement. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show or robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm looking at the wedding industry statistics and trends right now because obviously COVID changed things up for a lot of young people. I find this one funny, just out of the gate. Maybe you'll laugh, maybe you won't. But buffet catering has seen a big drop because <laughs> people are concerned about safety issues, which good thing I don't own a buffet, a Chinese buffet or any other buffet. Let's bring in the one, the only Patrick O'Hare from Chicago's briefings.com. Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well, thanks. Good to be back with you. I think you might have a daughter or two, and let me just say, you might be happy to know that elopement is on the rise currently post-COVID. I know your, your kids are younger, but it still may make you happy. Yes, well, I have three daughters, so I, I am maybe somewhat happy to hear that. <laughs> but I do wonder, uh, you think the conga line will come back at these wedding receptions? They say receiving lines are less common than in years past, so maybe the conga gets killed off too, but... uh I think we better move on to other content before we get thrown off the air. Um, current market conditions. Netflix kind of is showing us maybe there is a post-pandemic truth versus a pandemic pull-in 
Um, and that's got to affect Peloton and other players like Zoom. Uh, but we're also in earnings season where stocks have been rising and rising and rising, not price for perfection, but maybe. Um, what's the dominant trend you're seeing right now? Because we've got stimulus versus inflation. We've got earnings blowouts versus earnings expectations. We've got post-COVID, pre-COVID, COVID. Um, what are you seeing driving the market these days, sir? Well, I think we're just kind of running into a, a mix of, you know, wondering, has, has have we run as far as we're going to go? Uh, or, or you know, more or less is, is, is the... Um, Easy money, you know, pretty much been made in this in this move. Um, now that's a contention that you know you could have said a quarter ago, two quarters ago, in terms of easy money having been made, and that the uh, and that further upside, you know, will be harder from from those respective points. And lo and behold, you keep seeing more upside. Um, so I think we're just a little bit at a crossroads here. We obviously had a, a another really nice run uh, by the market. The indexes, anyway, and um, and what we're seeing, you know, kind of unfold in the early part of this week shouldn't be surprising to anyone. Uh, when the S&P 500 goes up seven percent in four weeks, uh, you should expect to see some, um, I guess, what technicians would say, backing and filling or consolidation, uh, uh, regroups and figures out whether uh, it needs to be a little bit more defensive-minded now or or just using it as the pause that refreshes. I'm not much of a market timer, but a little bit. I've had some cash on the sidelines now for, I guess, two or three months. I don't feel like I'm getting that third, fourth, or fifth day of selling. I feel like I'm getting one or two. And then I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get three in a row now today. And then I see the markets, they're, they're slated to open negative. Netflix is pulling everyone down. And then we get an hour into trading and everything's up. Um, do you kind of feel that's going on that we're really it, the dips are buying opportunities or am I extrapolating too much into that statement? Well, I don't, I don't think you are because, uh, this has been a trend following market and, uh, one trend that has, um, worked continually has been, you know, by the dip, by the weakness. Uh, and as I mentioned in my page one column this morning, you know, that viewpoint has been fortified by the persistence of low interest rates. And while we've seen, you know, a little bit of consolidation this week, uh, you've seen long-term rates continue to um, um, trend lower, frankly. Um, you know, we were at 1.74% on the 10-year when the month began. Uh, we saw, I think, 1.55, earlier this morning. And uh, and, you know, and that's a, a solidifying factor here for that uh, for that approach of buying on, on weakness. And so, uh, you know, I think that 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 becomes, you know, an element that um, uh, is, is something to keep a close close watch on only because it's always worked right in this runoff of. And uh, and if it doesn't, you know, if you get to a point where it doesn't work anymore, then you might get a more concerted you know, action. Um, but thus far, uh, there hasn't been any, uh, you know, disproof to that. And uh, not surprised now that you see a little bit of uh, kind of defend the market this morning following, um, following two consecutive days where the selling's been fairly broad-based across both value and growth factors. Let's take a little bit of a look at, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, earnings season. 
The financials came through, strong results. Some of them sold off. Netflix comes through, they beat on the top line and the bottom line, sold off slightly. Um, are we priced for perfection in earnings? Or do you like the beating of the numbers and just giving back a little bit, pause, refresh, move on to the next quarter, see how things open up? How, how's earnings season transitioning for you from the pandemic to reopening as far as quality of earnings, maybe? All right. Well, you know, some arguments be made that, the, you know, the quality of the earnings beats for the um, financials maybe were not as robust as the headlines made them appear. There's a lot of firms who are just, you know, releasing uh, loan loss reserves that they ultimately didn't need. Now, the irony in that, though, is that, you know, they're able to do that because credit quality uh, was better than, than feared. Uh, and that's a good thing, you know. So it, it's a reflection of a, of a better performing economy, um, uh, ability on the part of uh, debtors to repay their, their loans. Um, so that, that's nice to see. Um, and I think that, you know, um, expectations were high coming into this reporting period. I mean, it, market knew it, and you could see it in terms of upward earnings revisions. But, but what's been, uh, you know, a welcome sight is that these companies are in aggregate so far, uh, you know, are blowing out those upward earnings estimates. And uh, that's a, an important component uh, here, you know, as it relates to uh, the valuation argument. Right. We've had a market that's traded around 22 times forward 12-month earnings for a while now. Um, and uh, and the, the fact that the earnings numbers come in so far helps validate that, that higher valuation and, uh, and at the same time kind of also keeps, you know, multiple expansion in check. So you're not dealing with, you know, even uh, greater concerns about, you know, uh, higher valuation. And so uh, we've seen the market be able to tolerate you know, a forward multiple of about 22 times for a while because, you know, interest rates have, have you know, remain relatively low. Uh, we clearly saw some upward movement there this year. Um, but, you know, where we are now in the 10-year, um, I think that the market can still be somewhat patient in accepting a uh, the valuation might be full, but not necessarily extreme. And so, as you and I have talked about many times before um, this year, you know, what happens with long-term interest rates is, is really important and, and can play the part of spoiler for this bull market. Um, but, uh, if, you know, if they continue to cut near, you know, current levels or, you know, don't go too extreme here, then, you know, the market can continue to hold up and you're likely to continue to see that, that buy-on weakness mentality. <clears throat> Is there anything that you're seeing right now that you may want to bring to our attention? I think I saw Procter & Gamble yesterday say, expect inflation or raising some prices. Do we need to be worried about inflation? Should we be playing inflation with like a Freeport, Macaran, copper, and gold as a copper play on infrastructure? Um, I guess I'm interested in inflation, but after that, then your turn to talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of people are interested in inflation. Um, for obvious reasons, um, but you're right, Rob. In terms of you know, companies talk about uh, you know that they're likely to raise prices. Coca-Cola, Mills is another one. Um, you're seeing a lot of the transportation companies. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, there was a trucking company out today. 
where, uh, you know, talking about driver shortages and likely going to have to, you know, uh, attract drivers by paying higher wages. Um, so I think this inflation um, argument or, or fixation on in- inflation is, is it's not going away. Um, and market kind of tolerates some, some clear signs of inflation in the PPI and CPI and import price reports for March. Um, and uh, remarkably, the treasury market did not buckle under those uh, higher inflation readings. But, you know, something I've, I've argued before and I've written on, on briefing.com is, you know, this market has a knack for being impatient. And even though the Fed has, you know, said time and time again that it expects these near inflation pressures to be transitory, um, that's not to say the market can't get a little anxious on its on its own accord. And uh, that's something that I think your listeners and everyone really needs to be watching out for as we move into May, where we get, you know, n- you know, another round of inflation data uh, paired on top of what we're hearing throughout this companies, you know, gaining some pricing power or, you know, and or looking to, um, you know, offset the uh, impact of higher raw material costs by raising their prices. Um, you know, you could, you could see some upset perhaps in the treasury market, you know, in May, if, if the market gets a little antsy that uh, perhaps uh, it might not be transitory and that you'd see a, um, you know, a, see it sticking around a lot longer than, than the Fed thinks it will. So um, something that, you know, I'm keeping a close watch on now as we move into the month of May as, you know, as a potential source of volatility for the market. Thanks for joining us. I got to cut you a little short. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. As always, great insights, and uh, I'll let you have more of the question and answer next week versus my questions. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of international and domestic news. I start my day every day with Page One and Patrick O'Hare. It's surreal what a relationship I have with him and his writings. It's kind of sweet. It's 20-plus years. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Okay, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. This is yours. Who, that song kind of makes me dance in my seat. <laughs> You're saying, shut up, Rob. Talk about investing. Talk about something sensical. About episode six of Bridgerton, where we all said, did I just see what I think I saw? Yes. And it led to a cool down in Netflix, as that was the pinnacle of the quarter. I can't say the main guy's name. I can't say the main female's name. I just, I'm bad with names. Bridget, Jean, I don't want to take the time to learn it. Phoebe, something, I don't want to take the time to learn it. I'm getting old. I can't stay up with a young, hip actors and actresses of Hollywood, although they all seem to be out of England now. No. So Netflix is having a kind of meet the transition quarter. I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just saying just expect it on any stock that you may own, maybe even on any sector you may own, probably not on the diversified S&P 500 ETFs that you own. But Netflix is down 41 bucks today. Oh, down 7%. That's not so bad. 
let's take a look at a one year on Netflix. It's gone from 415 to today's 508. Of course, people are going to say, but it's gone from 593 to 508. No, no, no. In one year, it's gone, in my opinion, from 415 to 508. But something tells me people are going to say, boo. Um, I like corrections of 10%. I really like corrections of 20%. 30% bear markets. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. As long as I'm not in retirement, I, I never found a way to buy Netflix. I want to own Netflix. This might be my chance. If it were to drop to 475 and I go, that's kind of where it was pre-pandemic, I, I, I would feel good about it. If it were to drop way, 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 way down to where it was in September of 2019, 267, i.e. a 40% correction, I, I wouldn't sell my house. I might sell a kid. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not trafficking my children. Do not cancel culture me. It, it's a silly reference to buying opportunity of a lifetime. You know when the buying opportunity of a lifetime was? March 2020. And the question is, did you have the courage to do it? Most people did not. Um, in March 2020, this was a $375 stock. So, and interesting, I'm looking at March 2020. Um, maybe as kind of a tip-off a little bit, shall you, for um, how it's done in the pandemic. It never went down in the pandemic. There was one period of time from August to October, but the correction was tiny. It basically went up every month of the pandemic. And again, for clarity reasons, I'm calling the pandemic 14 to 15 months. We're still in it. We're at the tail ends of it. I don't know if that's true. I'm not a scientist on the variants. I'm still protecting me and my family. I'm still getting shots. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, scientifically speaking. So I'm making some assumptions, taking a look at the markets right here, right now. You, um, things are doing okay. Again, we had two bad days to open the week. We had a great week last week. We had a great month last month. Short term, I would expect some volatility through earnings season. But also, some companies are smart. Coke is entering a crowded hard seltzer market. Uh, dominated by White Claw and Truly. Recently, Corona's gotten into it. Um, I'm kind of fascinated, and this is one of my moments where I'm going to tell you culturally, this may be a little weird. Um, Coca-Cola's initial foray into selling alcohol. I know you're first and foremost. Let's go with that for a second. Have a Coke and a smile. Coke is a all-American blue chip. Is alcohol an all-American blue chip? But their entry into hard seltzer is called Topo Chico. And it's yellow, which is pretty dominant, like sound kind of a Latin American color. Is hard seltzer a Latin American, South American thing that I don't know about? Strong start in Texas. Um, hard seltzers are lovely. I get it. They, they're refreshing. They don't have that big, heavy malt taste. Um, and you get a buzz off of it, which a lot of people kind of like during the pandemic, pre, during, and post-pandemic. But I'm not stoked that Coca-Cola is getting into alcohol. 
but I do see it as going hard seltzers get going up 160% year over year as a category beer sales up 15%. Um, I, this is a weird statement is Coca-Cola diversifying into alcohol. And how does that make you feel? Bitcoin rally this year is the start of going mainstream, not a bubble, according to Bill Miller, who's a longtime value investor. I like Bill Miller. He's run a value fund for years where he's included tech names in it uh, because he said, I'm long term. These are value. Um, And I have no problem with that kind of approach. His commentary on Bitcoin, I think, is probably going to prove to be more true than false. Yesterday, I saw some people expecting Bitcoin to fall 50% this year. And he said, you know, hey, if the correction does come, that's a good thing. And it's here to stay because of it. Okay. And that's what I throw out to you is could you live with a 50% correction? And how would that make you feel? Not good, huh? But a lot of people are calling for bubbles to burst of people who probably don't own any. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. Cadillac! Trying to end their traditional internal combustion engine. They've got a 2023 Lyric all-electric vehicle coming out 60000 bucks. EV vehicles are continuing to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And grow. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com.